Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitramadidis. Sidlo is still away on his catastrophically planned holiday, uh, so Al, uh, Alex Kirkland, stepping in uh, this week to uh, to talk about match day three with me. Hello Al. Hello Kitro, nice to be here as always. Of course. I mean, you know, you are always here. I'm always well. here. You're always here. Always listening. Always... Not in a sinister way, but no. always listening in. Yeah. Well, occasionally sinister, but you know, generally <laughs> just sort of supervisory um, uh, listening. Anyway, uh, we're here to uh, talk about what happened on match day three. Before we get to that, I would love to tell you about our Patreon. Mm. Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. We're going to have a Q&A pod out for patrons on Tuesday, as always, answering your questions. We're going to have a bonus pod out later this week, probably on Friday after the transfer window closes. And when Sid is back from holiday, eventually, we'll be bringing back TSFP Presents, which is our series looking at the history and culture of Spanish football. You get access to the TSFP Discord as well. It's around four quid a month. Good value if you like Spanish football content. So come and join us, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Here's what happened then on match day three, or so far, because we've had eight of the ten games, two games this evening, Cadiz against Athletic Club and Valencia against Atletico Madrid. Uh, Friday night saw Celta get their first win of the season. They won 1-0 at Girona. Who scored the goal? Barry scored the goal, obviously. Big Baz uh, netting for the third consecutive match. By the way, that's Iago Aspas. I know there are some new listeners. Every season we get new listeners. Every season we get people asking, why do you call him Barry? There is no there's no reason. It it's not funny. We've just done it for yeah. almost a decade now and we, we <laughs> cannot stop and we will not stop. Uh, Betis continued their 100% record at the start of the season, beating Osasuna by a goal to nil. Beautiful goal from Borja El Panda. Uh, Iglesias, uh, Betis... We can say why he's called the Panda. It's because of the song Panda. What's the song Panda? You know, the um, rap song from a few years ago. He listened to it a lot and teammates started calling him Panda because of that. You remember the song. It was it was very popular, Kitro. I'm not sure I do. Well, I probably do. I just wasn't sure of the, of the name. Oh, there we go. Oh, so uh, Panda scoring for uh, for Betis. A brilliant goal. Three wins out of three for Betis. And they're absolutely fr- flying. Uh, Saturday saw uh, Real Sociedad beat Elche by goal to nil. Bryce Mendez scoring his first goal since uh, joining from Celta. Uh, Mallorca got their first win of the season, beating the... The mighty Raya Vallecano 2-0 at Vallecas and they weren't that mighty uh, defensively Raya. And Almeria came from behind to beat Sevilla 2-1 at the Power Horse Stadium. With an, it was an extraordinary game. Sevilla dominating the opening half, but Almeria coming back, scoring two goals. They could have scored more as well. And Sevilla are in crisis. More on that in just a moment. Uh, Sunday... Sora, an early contender for uh, worst game of the season, certainly. Yeah, worst, uh, I was watching first this half. <laughs> yeah, Cadiz, um, Catafe nil, Villarreal nil. Oh, there's a slip it of was... the tongue. <laughs> That's Freudian. You think terrible game, yeah. and you immediately think Cadiz. Catafe <laughs> nil, Villarreal nil. Uh, Villarreal actually had plenty of chances to win, some really, really good chances, uh, but they didn't. They are still unbeaten, those seven points from nine. Uh, Barca. Uh, thrashing via the lead by four goals to nil. Uh, Robert Lewandowski stealing the show with uh, two more goals. And then Real Madrid beating Espanyol by three goals to one, uh, scoring two goals very late on, though, uh, Real Madrid. It, it was 1-1, and then Karim Benzema popped up late on to, to score twice. As we said, two games on Monday. Cadiz against Athletic, and uh, one of the biggest fixtures in Spanish football was Valencia against Atletico Madrid uh, at Mestaya, which I'm told is close to being sold out. So uh, let's see what the atmosphere is like there this evening. All right, let's talk about um, 
Barcelona beating Valladolid by by four goals to nil, a game which saw a debut for Jules Koundé. They finally managed to register him on match day three. I was looking, I think they, they signed him on the 27th of July. And yeah, a whole month. His, made his debut a month later, uh, but there we go. Good things come to those who wait. He started the game at, at right back and, and did all right. We can talk about him in just a moment, but Lewandowski grabbing the headlines. He scored twice. He's going to score lots and lots of goals for Barcelona. I mean, he's Robert Lewandowski. It's, it's kind of what he does. But I was kind of taken by not just the goals that he scored, which were which were very nice, but what he was doing after them. He was constantly talking to everyone around him. After the second goal, he sort of grabs Jules Koundé in a bit of a bear hug, puts his arm around him and, and is talking to him, saying, listen, mate, you know, I need the ball here or you need to make that run there. This is after scoring his, his, his second goal. He's constantly talking, constantly giving advice. And not only is he going to score loads and loads and loads of goals, but he seems like being a really, really positive presence to have on the pitch and in the dressing room. It's interesting that you should pick up on that because I was also going to say that what's really impressed me about Lewandowski for, for Barca so far isn't actually the goals. It's it, it's something else, but it's not necessarily his, what you've identified there, his sort of personality or leadership qualities, what I've been really impressed and a little bit surprised by. Um, and maybe this speaks more to my uh, ignorance than, than anything else. Of course, uh, we've seen a lot of Lewandowski in the Champions League over the years, but I haven't seen much of him in the Bundesliga because I don't watch the Bundesliga. It's it's all La Liga all the time in my house. Um, is his touch and all the stuff that he does aside from scoring the, the goals, the way that he's mm. been linking up and combining with players like Ansu Fati, like Rafinha, like Usman Dembele. Like I say, his touch, the way he controls the ball, um, his his passing, his reading of the game, his understanding of the movements of those teammates that I that I just mentioned. All of that, I think, has been much, much better than I was expecting. I think in my head, I had this image of him as, as the ultimate goal scorer and the best yes. finisher around. And of course, he is that. But he's much more of an all-round player than certainly I was aware of. Like I say, maybe that just speaks to speaks to my ignorance. There was one moment in this game. I mean, there have been a few moments like this already in, in the first couple of games of his Barca career. But there was one moment in the first half where he did a lovely bit of skill and control and moved away from a defender and I think set up Dembele for, for, for a chance. And there's been a lot more of that than, than I was expecting. Um, almost in a, not quite in a Benzema sense, but not a million miles away in terms of being the kind of centre forward who can um, create as much uh, for his for his teammates and be the, the focal point of the of the build up and play a role in that as much as just finishing off chances. Um, so that for me is what I've really been impressed by with with Lewandowski so far. And the two goals were were lovely. Um, I saw that you guys on La Liga TV compared his finish for the first goal to that legendary, iconic photo of that Johan Cruyff goal for, for Barca, in which he's kind of airborne yes. at the far post. There was definitely a little bit of that about this that Lewandowski finish. It was the kind of finish that he made it look pretty straightforward, stretching for that ball. But if you or I tried to stretch in that way to reach that ball in the air, we'd you know, suffer some sort of dislocation or something. Um, and the second goal, I was... I was a little bit disappointed when you saw the replays and saw that his back heel flick had taken a, a deflection off the defender and that initially it seems like it wasn't actually uh, going on target because my reaction at first when you saw it in real time was, oh my goodness, you know, that's one of the most special finishes I've seen for a long, long time and it turned out maybe not to be quite as special, but at least the, mm. at least the idea was there. Mm. Certainly was. No, I think that's something that I also have been surprised about 
about just how good a footballer he is. And it might sound a bit silly. And as you said, it might sound a bit ignorant on, on our part. But yeah, I completely agree. For me, I thought he was just the ultimate goal scorer. And he turns out to be an absolutely brilliant footballer. I didn't think we'd be seeing kind of, um, you know, attempted back heel flick through ball assists and, and stuff like that. Kind of things mm. we've seen from him in the last... It, it Basically, it seems like he is really, really enjoying himself at Barcelona mm. so far. That's what really comes through. I think that maybe that's what links the two points that you and I have just made about things we weren't necessarily expecting to, to see. He just seems really up for this and he's enjoying it. And of course, he had to work so hard to leave Bayern <laughs> and he had to be so patient mm. waiting for this deal to, to happen. I guess, yeah, he's just relishing it now. Uh, as we said, Jules Kunde made his uh, debut in this game on on the right side of defence, nominally a, a right back, but the, the defence was a little bit fluid, that that back four. He doesn't want to play uh, right back. He, he said so right after back. the game, didn't he? He said, yeah. I don't really like, he was quite honest, quite refreshingly yeah. honest, saying I don't really like playing there, but I, you know, I guess I will. Yeah. Um, if needed. Until they maybe sign a right back, that would, that would, that would be a good idea. Mm. Um, but yeah, he, he did all right. He came in and, and, and yeah, looked, looked like more or less the Jules Kunde that we, uh, we know and loved from Sevilla. Yeah, and you mentioned the fact they finally, a month later, managed to register him with La Liga. It's probably worth mentioning the way that that was finally achieved, which is also maybe a, a little bit surprising because Barca, of course, have been looking to see what they can do in the market. They've been looking to see which players they can move on. And they were successful last week in, in finally moving on Umtiti, although that did very little in terms of giving them room on their salary cap because they're still paying his wages. It only made a difference in terms of the, some of the bonuses that he wouldn't um, be eligible for anymore. But the way they managed to find the margin to register Koundé in the end is with a personal guarantee from President Joan Laporta and from the club's treasurer, another one of the directors as well, with them putting their names to, to this and basically guaranteeing that uh, this is a measure that exists in, in La Liga's... I think it's Article 92 of the, of the regulations on this, saying that you can do this as a club director. It can't come from the club itself. It has to come from, from someone personally. You can put up a guarantee as a short-term measure saying that soon enough you expect additional funds to, to be in place, but making yourself personally liable in the event that that does not materialise. So it's quite a drastic measure that, that Laporta has taken here. I suppose that they were worried that Koundé was getting increasingly antsy and frustrated as the, the close of the transfer window approaches and he still hadn't been been registered and still hadn't played. So they felt like this kind of drastic action was, uh, was needed. Um, but yeah, it's quite a move from Laporta. A man who, who makes big moves. Who also turned up at Camp Now Sporting quite a, quite a shiny black eye as well at the weekend, which was we're told was down to a, a domestic mishap. Yes, a domestic incident of, of little importance. They tried to they tried to play it down. Anyway, Barca beating Valladolid by by four goals to nil. Let's talk about Real Madrid and their three one win at the RCDE Stadium without Espanyol. As we said, Benzema scoring late on. Uh, in a game uh, which uh, saw Real Madrid take the lead early on uh, through uh, uh, Vinicius Jr., uh, only for Espanyol to, to equalise. And, and, and once they equalised, they um, they got really back into the game, Espanyol. And for sort of the middle third of the game, they, um, they, they certainly competed with Real Madrid. But Madrid are Real Madrid. They score late goals. They win matches. That's what, that's what happens. But this was a, this was a terrific game to watch. Well, Madrid have this ability. We've talked about it before to win 
when they're not necessarily playing well, when they haven't necessarily dominated a game throughout, they have so much quality in someone like Karim Benzema, who didn't have his best game at all. He was fairly quiet, actually, right up until the point where he scored those two goals right at the end. Um, players like him, players like Vinicius, who can make the difference with just one or two or, or three chances. But yeah, I thought Madrid were really knocked off their rhythm um, by Espanyol, like you say, from sort of midway through the first half, until midway through the second half, having started the, the game really quite well. They then went on to, to end the game quite well as well. And I do think it's interesting that we saw this, of course, a lot last season, especially in the Champions League, the way that Angelotti was able to bring players like Camavinga and Rodrigo off the bench to make a difference. And we saw that formula again here. It was those two players who, who came on, um, Camavinga. He still seems to struggle a little bit when he starts games for for Real Madrid, but he does make such a difference in terms of his energy in midfield coming off the bench for the last half hour or so. Did that again here. Uh, Rodrigo, who keeps just growing and growing as a player. What a ball it was from from him for for Benzema for the equaliser. So yeah, Madrid have that strength in depth and it is extremely helpful in games like this where they look like they might well be struggling to, to get all three points. And the other thing that's worth talking about in terms of Madrid in this game, I think, is Chouameni in midfield, who once again did very well. I thought he struggled a bit in the first game of the season um, against Del Maria, but the last two games, I think he's been very, very good. And I think there are some ways, of course, well, we think, I think, that they will miss Casemiro at times, but in some ways, Chouameni is starting to look like an upgrade on Casemiro, in particular going forward. I think he has more to his game. I think we're going to see a lot more from him in terms of um, both scoring goals and creating goals for for his teammates as well, and that pass for for Vinny to to open the scoring was just was just sensational. Ancelotti has talked about this. He said, "I'm not going to ask Chouameni to be Casemiro because they are different players with different characteristics, and in particular, Chouameni likes to get forward, likes to get into the box, and I think we're going to see quite a bit of that." So I'm not saying that he's an upgrade all round on on Casemiro. We're a long way from from that, but in what he can do in the in the final third. I think he certainly is a, a different kind of player. And we saw that again here. It was the first game of the TKM. Are we, are we calling it that? The, the Charmini Cross Modric? Can we... Well, I mean, I, I had never even got into really the, the whole CKM thing, yeah. like literally until Casemiro left. So I, yes. I, don't, I don't yet feel ready. I feel like the, my, my limit for acronyms is, is for you know, an, an iconic sort of front three or something. We had the BBC and even the MSN, I never really got behind for, no? for Barca. So let's, I, no, I, I'm, I'm not having it, Kitra. Certainly not yet. I mean, I guess the acronym sort of has to be famous elsewhere as well. You know, BBC, obviously we know BBC, we know MSN. I mean, <laughs> t- yeah, it TKM like doesn't mean anything, does it? So, no. Yeah. All right. Um, Real Madrid getting that victory and, and continuing their 100% start to the season. As we said, it's them and Real Betis and they meet next weekend at the Bernabeu. Mm. So that should be pretty, pretty tasty. Well, first game at home for, for Madrid, yeah. of course, who started the season with these three games away from home. And they asked to do that so that work could carry on at uh, full speed at the Bernabeu throughout throughout August. And it's not easy, of course, to start the season with three away games in a row, but they've got maximum points. They have. Um, how far along is the is the Bernabeu? Um, I, I was looking at a video this morning, actually, yeah. just, just before we started recording. It looks pretty good. Um, it, it's a long way from finished. Mm-hmm. Of course, the plan originally was that it was going to be ready, I think, for the end of, of this year, of 2022, the calendar year, mm-hmm. I mean. Uh, Florentino Perez was saying earlier this summer that they're now hoping to be finished at uh, the end of this season. Mm. Um, so they are going with a little bit of a, of a day. It looks like it's moved on 
a fair bit from when we last saw it at the end of last season. Uh, but yeah, it's still a long way from from done. Um, the roof is closer to completion, but it's not completed yet. Um, still, the work on the facade on the outside, there's a lot to, to do there. They just fitted a new pitch the other day. We're still going to see, um, if you've uh, watched um, games on TV at the Bernabeu, last season you would have seen uh, these big areas especially I think on one side of the pitch and behind one of the goals that are covered with these huge tarpaulins because those are the kind of the access points for these huge tunnels they've been digging down um, under the ground around the stadium partly because that's where this retractable pitch is going to be stored Uh, those are still going to be there so it's still not going to look like anything like the the finished article for that first game against uh, Betis. But yeah, we're getting closer, I guess. First game of the season at home for Real Madrid next weekend, or this weekend, as we said, against Real Betis. Uh, Let's talk about Sevilla then and their crisis. It is only match day three, so you can't really call any team uh, being in crisis. Although this isn't just about this season, is it? Mm. It's five wins from their last 21 league games for Sevilla. They've only won seven league games in the calendar year. It's been a really, really, really poor 2022. They ended last season very, very poorly and they've started this season. It's their worst start to a campaign in 41 years. Let's put it like that. One point from a possible nine. And even more worrying for them is who they've played in those three games. Valladolid, Osasuna Mm. and Almeria, uh, teams that they would have expected to beat relatively uh, comfortably. They've only got one point and... Even that was thanks to a goalkeeping howler from Sergio Asenko by uh, against Valladolid uh, last weekend. So it's not going well for Sevilla at all. Having said all that, they started this game really well. They should have been three, maybe four nil up uh, by the time that uh, Ramazani equalised for Almeria out of the blue, completely against the run of play. And that got Almeria back into the game. Afterwards, Julian Lopetegui said, we had a, a glass jaw using the uh, the boxing analogy, and they got punched by that Ramazani goal. They were a little bit groggy, and then Umar Sadiq scored in the second half, and that was a knockout blow, mentally. I'm liking this boxing analogy, Kitro, that you're keeping going well, there with the, with the knockout blow. I mean, Lopetegui well, being a, a big, proud Basque from a tradition, yes. you know, a family tradition of kind of strong men. He must know all about this kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, it's... Um, yeah, there's a lot to say about about Sevilla, and I think a lot has gone wrong. I think a lot of people would have um, predicted they would struggle losing their two starting centre backs. I mean, we did. Losing... Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did, and any team losing their centre backs is is, is going to struggle, unless maybe you're Real Madrid. But usually, when you use your centre backs, mm. you're going to struggle, and especially a team like Sevilla, who rely so heavily on a strong defence because they've got two strikers that don't really score that much so you need that solidity which this season they absolutely do not have and I was looking a little bit at at the way that they recruited the the replacements and it just seems like everything's not been done with the kind of meticulous planning that you would expect Julian Lopetegui to want because he is a very meticulous and micromanaged kind of guy it just feels a little bit improvised now I mean they bought Tangi Nyansu on um, on the 17th of, of August I mean after the season had started they knew Jules Kunde was going to go they knew mm. Diego Carlos was going to go they bought Marcao in mid-July they signed him injured he is still injured he has not made his debut so you, you haven't had these two centre-backs playing together Nyansu hasn't had a pre-season he's had to move to a new league a new country new language thrown immediately into the team he's done yeah. okay but it's 
just all feels slapdash and, and, and not the way that things should be done. And now they're going into the market and they're looking for a striker four days before the end of the transfer window because they've realised, oh, yeah, we've got, well, I think we really do need a striker, actually, lads. So let's go and try and find someone. Oh, but we've probably got to sell a couple of midfielders before we can bring in a striker. It just feels like all of this has been done so poorly. So well, poorly And that's, that's particularly strange, isn't it, when we're talking about Monchi, who for many yes. people is, is the great example of a, of a sporting director and about how these having kind of a, a unified vision for the club and that sporting strategy and the fact that coaches can come and go, but you've got Monchi there who is, you know, regardless of that, is planning for the, for the short, medium and long-term future of the team. And he's talked in detail and we've talked about it on this podcast about the way that he looks to the system he has to identify uh, players and targets and alternative targets in case those those targets don't work out. So it seems very odd to be saying the things that you're saying about a club where the man in charge is, is Monchi. Monchi, of course, who was also in the spotlight after this game. I mean, you say it's, it's too soon to be talking about a, a crisis. Maybe he thinks it's a bit of a crisis that he's trying to avert because he went down to try and pacify uh, the angry away Sevilla fans after the game in the stadium. He was down there on the touchline, sort of trying to give them a bit of a of a lecture. I think he got the Sevilla players out there as well to to talk to them. And he was basically calling for, for unity, saying we're all in this together. We need to stick together. That's the only way we're going to get out of this kind of situation is if we are united. I think that's because he knows that Lopetegui and the team are right on the brink of losing the fans if they haven't started to lose some of them already. Now, I saw some uh, criticism of of that from Monty as being a little bit of kind of grandstanding and is it really necessary to come out and, and do that in such a, a public way? He clearly felt like that was a message that, that needed to be sent and he would have known that would have been picked up on um, on, on social media as, as well. But the fact that he felt that was necessary, I think, is quite interesting. Uh, it's kind of indicative of his uh, personality. Yeah. He does. I mean, he is kind of a big deal and he does sort of know it as well. Well, so, he kind of acts I, as a, a sort of spokesman for the club in many well, ways. He's a sporting director. Even, yeah, even, but... even, more, than, even more vocal than, than the, the coaches, you know, which is quite different mm. to the setup at a lot of other clubs. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, dra- he dragged the players out of the dressing room to go and face Looking the Looking quite sheepish. They yeah. looked very, very sheepish. And then there was a... Isco's there thinking, oh, come on. Yeah, leave it out. Speaking of Isco, I mean, Isco, another one. It's a big risk bringing Isco in. We're talking about a player who played 37, made 37 league appearances in four years for Real Madrid. There once was a very good player there, but there hasn't been yeah. a player there for, for years. I would love, I'd love it. I'd love to see him, see him back. Anything near that level, but I don't know. I genuinely, I can't see it. I mean, like I said, I, I could be proved wrong, and, and, but I, I can't see it. For Almeria, it was a terrific result. And their front two are still there, Laji Ramazani yeah. and Umar Sadiq. We were talking about them potentially leaving before the first game of the season against Real Madrid. They they didn't. Ramazani scored in that. Um, the second game of the season uh, against Elche, uh, Sadiq scored there. And then they both scored in, in this game. They're both still there. I tell you what, I mean... I reckon Sevilla would, 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 would be pretty happy to have Umar Sadiq uh, up front. He'd give them something a little bit different. He's a strange, strange striker. He is, he's honest. the most baffling football player, Kitro. <laughs> that I, I can't remember the last footballer who was just as odd yeah, yeah. to watch as him. He's one of those players who, you, like, half the time he looks 
utterly incapable of doing the most basic things. Or sort of running. But yeah. Yeah, no, yes, no, not even nothing nothing complicated. I'm not talking about back heel flicks here. I'm talking about literally controlling a football or running. Yeah. Um but then yeah, other times he'll he'll do other things very very well and he's he's consistently scored goals for a, for a few years now as well. Um if, have you ever heard him um have you had him on La Liga TV? He's got a brilliant voice. No. I love it. I love the way he sounds. We've had Ramazani, so who's got a very London accent. Ramazani is another one, and he's a he's a really exciting player. He's electric, isn't he? He's yeah, so quick, yeah. and he's got a very good shot on him as yeah, well. Yeah. And we've talked before about how you know promoted teams and teams that are looking to avoid relegation. What you really need is goals mm. and players who are going to give you goals. We talked about that in the context of of Girona with Stuani and Castellanos, and you can say the same thing here about Almeria with Ramazani and Sadiq for now. Even if we think that Sadiq might still be off in the next few days. Uh, after the game, Ruby, the Almeria manager, said, I want to go to sleep and I want to wake up in four days. And so the transfer window's closed because obviously it must be incredibly difficult for him not knowing yeah. whether or not he's going to have these uh, uh, two players. Uh, OK, some uh, other uh, other stuff, other matches. Sydney is on holiday, but that hasn't stopped him watching football. Tonight he's going to go and watch Cardiff against uh, Athletic Club. And on Friday night, he went to watch Betis beat Osasuna. So over to Sydney to tell us all about that. Always watch Betis, even if it is a slightly different Betis. I was really impressed with them as much as anything else because the capacity to, to kind of take the edge out of the game, the capacity to withstand the last 20 minutes or so when Osasuna put a lot of balls into the box but never really created a chance. And Osasuna, and Manuel Pellegrini actually put it really well after the game. He said that one of the things about Osasuna is the volume, the volume of defending they make you do, the amount of... Um, clearances they they force you into just the kind of the insistence of ball into the box into the box into the box into the box and and Betis dealt with that really well which is not necessarily how you kind of imagine Betis as playing and I think that's probably quite important for them that they can do that part of the game as well they were the better side they created better chances they should have scored more than one goal without being really sparkling but they were they were very impressive William Carvalho had a really good game moved away from people well although I must admit there are quite a few times during that game when William Carvalho would do a really nice little bit of skill, turn away from the first challenge, get a little bit of a nudge and then just stop. And every time he got the free kick. And I would say at least 50% of those times, admittedly I'm saying 50% of maybe three or four occasions, but, but probably half the times that he did it, he thought, mm, yeah, a little bit lucky to get that, a little bit fortunate and a little bit quick to just stop and assume you're going to get the free kick, which of course we've seen before happens perhaps more often in La Liga than it does in, in some other leagues but he was impressive the player that really stood out for me apart from Borja Iglesias who scored a brilliant goal Nabil Fakir who continued to do some of the Nabil Fakir things and, and, and played really well the player that really impressed me coming on was Sergio Canales and not because of anything in particular that he does or that he did but because of everything he does everything he's done with the right idea everything is done with the right weight on the pass um, the correct decision, the touch is good to get away from pressure when it's put upon him, the willingness to go and um, receive the ball from other players, but when he's in, in trouble and, and to kind of take that responsibility and then move it on to someone else so that the whole move kind of opens up, that great Spanish phrase of oxygenising the move. And I just thought when Canales came on, there was just a kind of a clarity and a control about him, which was great to watch. I mean, put very simply, he makes football better, Canales, watching him play. And I thought Betis were impressive. It's three wins out of three for them now. This is a slightly different one. The concern would come, uh, I don't know if you heard this, but but post-game, and actually it was the same pre-game, Pellegrini talked a lot about, you know, potential arrivals and departures, but in particular potential departures. 
And it was very clear from the way that he said it, and he repeated it a couple of times, this idea of please don't debilitate the squad. It was very clear that he knows that the club has pressing financial needs and that, of course, the risk is that you resolve those problems by selling players that really are important. They've already lost Mark Bartra. There's a risk that they lose someone else. And Pellegrini, I think, is concerned that that might be the case. But they look good, and they look good in the same way that they did last year. There's a, there's a total clarity about how they want to play. I'm not entirely sure about Louis Val at right back, but of course they still want to try and get right back. And if they could get Bellerin back in, they would do it. Although I don't think they'd have the finances at the moment and the salary cap margin to be able to do it. But they, they do look like a good side, Betis. And we were talking at the start of the season about whether they might be uh, a contender for that fourth place. I still think possibly not, because I still think that Raul Fidan and Valencia and even Sevilla, despite the terrible start, could well be better place for that. But the start's really good and it makes you think that actually maybe that could happen. So always do watch Betis. Thank you very much, Sydney. Uh, some other stuff before we go. Some transfers, because they, they have been happening before the transfer window slams shut at midnight on the 1st of uh, September, or was it the 2nd of September? Anyway, um, uh, uh, 1st of it's, September it's is the midnight, final mid, It's midnight Spanish time on, on the 1st, yeah. yeah, on the night of the 1st. Uh, Athletic Club have re-signed Ander Herrera. He's on loan yes. from PSG. It's, this is great. Yeah. Good to see him back in Bilbao, where he was part of a real sort of golden team for uh, Los Leones. Uh, they reached the Europa League uh, final, Copa del Rey final as well. Terrific team, and he's he's back there. I mean, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what <laughs> state he. Well, he's 33 now, 33. isn't he? I I don't know quite what state he's in now, and how whether he's going to be an automatic first team pick for for Athletic or not. Of yeah. course, having been at PSG, he hasn't been starting for, for them. I mean, what they really need is a striker. Uh, they've got a lot of midfielders, but I guess someone of, of his quality and who obviously fits their restricted policy. Well, there were policy. Um, lots and lots of fans queuing uh, to get into San Mamez to, to greet him on his return Good. there. That was nice to see. Good. Um, Nottingham Forest have made their 18th signing of the summer. Is it 19? I've, 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 I've actually... Genuinely lost count. It's that, well, the stat about how much more they've spent compared to every single La Liga club who isn't Madrid or, or Barca was was really quite quite stunning and says a lot about the relative finances of of the Premier League and the um, and La Liga. But yeah, Lodi, sorry, Renan Lodi. Yeah, he's he's on, he's on loan at Nottingham Forest uh, for a season. I think Atleti do still, you know, they want to keep hold of him. They want to. Uh, they think that there is a player there and actually I think they've extended his contract at the same time yeah, haven't they yeah so and Simeone said you know, he's the World Cup he wants to play he realises that he might not play that much here obviously Saul and Carrasco yeah so. Simeone didn't want him to go right. Simeone was quite keen for him to stay it was Lodi who requested a meeting with, with Simeone last week to say look having having not featured much so far this season if I'm not going to play mm. as you say I really need to go to go and play in the World mm. Cup um, which you can understand, and Simeone said, "Okay, fine." And as you say, he's got well, he's, he's got two players there who aren't really specialist left backs or left wing backs in Carrasco and Saul, but who he seems to like both of them in that position. Uh, perhaps switching from one to the other, depending on the nature of the opponent that they are they are facing. Um, Lodi has never really got consistent opportunities in the Atleti team. I think there have been question marks for a lot of his time there about his defensive solidity. We've seen him contribute brilliantly. Going forward, at times we saw that, of course, in the in the Champions League. But yeah, he's, he hasn't quite made that left back spot his his own, and it's a shame. Atleti are going to try and bring someone in in the last few days of the of the window. Uh, a deal that has just been confirmed while we were recording. Real Sociedad bringing back Alexander Surlot, 
who was on mm. loan there last season, scored uh, eight goals for them, replacing Alexander Isak. They're going to need someone else as well, I think. Yeah, the idea is to bring in one more, yeah. Uh, Valencia, very close to signing Edinson Cavani. We're nearly hashtag here we go. So maybe we'll talk more about that on Thursday when it's confirmed. I mean, welcome him and his magnificent Uruguayan cheekbones yes what a what a what a specimen he is uh, and uh, congratulations to spain's under 20s who won the women's world cup in costa rica last night they beat japan uh, 3-1 in the final uh, i think they've been a successful at under 17s level as well and now the under 20s so uh, congratulations to uh, uh, to them uh, the uh, segunda división eibar alaves and albacete Albacete lead the way with seven points from three games so far eibar beat bonferradina 1-0 on sunday alaves Drew 1-1 at Ibiza, and Albacete beat Huesca 2-1 on Friday. Elsewhere, Levante beat Tenerife 2-0, and the mighty Oviedo won 1-0 at Rathing Santander. Sadly, there were some nasty scenes in, in Santander with some away fans being targeted. There does always seem to be a bit of niggle uh, between the uh, the Rathing and the Oviedo fans when, whenever they the two meet. But there were lots of uh, away fans for uh, for Oviedo, a sea of blue, and they celebrated with a, a victory. Sydney was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilometres away, absolutely nowhere near there, which is probably why they won. Um, right, that's it for today's uh, podcast. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow uh, to answer your questions on the Q&A pod, uh, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Do consider becoming a patron. It's the best way to keep up with uh, Spanish football throughout the season. If you don't, we won't hold it against you. Instead, we'll do another free podcast for you next Monday. We'll speak then, amigos. Adios. Bye-bye. Thank you.